Ready, Dave? Everybody, this is Don't Let's Start, a podcast about They Might Be Giants, the only podcast about They Might Be Giants, hosted by me, Jordan Cooper, and and me, Dave Fox. Dave Fox, my friend till the end, the bitter end, yes. as I say. It's already bitter, baby. <laughs> and um, this is a just re- got to get the end now. <laughs> this is let's get to the end of this. This is a special episode, more special than all the other special ones, yeah. because those are all bad. Yeah, those are all bad. Start here. Just kidding. <laughs> Redo. This is an episode where we talk to Jonathan Feinberg. Jonathan Feinberg, known to some super fans as J.D. Feinberg. He was the drummer for They Might Be Giants in the year 1992. He accompanied them on their Apollo 18 tour. Cut Up Snake Tour. Yeah, Don't Tread on the Cut Up Snake World Tour. And he had to learn tons of songs and he, he learned all these songs from their first four albums and and he's also credited on the uh, O Tannenbaum single playing on that track. He was a really big deal for the band because he's one of the people who are like really yeah. responsible for figuring out with them how to be a full band with their their sound. Yeah, he was the guinea pig. That's right. He was the prototype for having a band. There's one thing I want to play though just to I wanted to play a yes. clip in the intro which I know is unusual. This is getting out of hand. Yeah. Um <laughs> This is just a perfectly sums up how awesome he is as a drummer, but he's also awesome as a human being because this interview is so fun. Very fun. And very, very engaging. Top five interview. I think we've interviewed five people. Yeah, that's right. But check out, this is some captured audience banter from one of those early live shows. This is from October 92. Oh, did you did you hear what the guy said? What am I hard of hearing? He said he's one of the best drummers he's ever heard. Yeah, that's right. Or seen. I yeah, <laughs> I don't remember already. It's one of those. So yeah, if you want to rewind thirty seconds, there's a little button on your podcast app. Um, someone in the audience goes, "This guy's one of the best drummers I've ever seen." Yes. And when I heard that, I was like, "Oh my god, this is a perfect way to open this episode." I agree. I tried to put in his, without overdoing it, I tried to put in so many clips of him performing on these songs yeah. and stuff because there's so much great stuff. And also, if you want to hear a lot of that, our previous episode plays a lot of clips from this tour where he he uh, played drums and they've got the whole band there for the first time. All right. So we talked to him about joining They Might Be Giants and a very interesting career after They Might yes. Be Giants, which I won't spoil, but it's... It's a big chunk of the episode, and it's it's really interesting. Yeah. And I was I just wanted to keep asking questions about it. Dave, I I think you've got to hit that little switch behind you there. All right, <laughs> flip the switch. Here we go. Our interview with Jonathan Feinberg. Jonathan Feinberg, drummer and other, <laughs> he does other things too. Is what I meant. Here we go. Let's see, which of you is Jordan and which of you is <laughs> Dave? That's Jordan. I'm Dave. Hi, Jordan. Hi, Dave. Yeah. Our voices match how we look. Hi. Yeah. 
That's true. <laughs> Do you use any of the uh, video? No, no, no I no, hate because we're I, ugly. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't we start with how you got into music? How did how did it all begin? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was born. <laughs> I, I, as far as I know, I was I was born uh, just kind of attuned to music, listening and making. And some of my very earliest memories are of listening to the Beatles at my grandfather's house, my my mother's father's house. He had a copy of uh, Revolver, mm. and I remember at a at a, a basically a pre-verbal age listening uh, to that record and begging for it. And apparently I'm told that I used to ask for the Boo Jews uh, when I'd go to his house. <laughs> oh, that's cute. And uh, so I listened to the Boo Jews at, at uh, Grandpa's house. Um, and I remember in particular, I remember listening to the song For No One, uh, you know. Wow. Yeah. That was me. I did that. I knew that it was sad, <laughs> but I didn't know what it was about. And I just, I thought that it was about um, American cheese because this, when, I think when he says she's <laughs> or she, like there was something about that. Anyway, that's my earliest memory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, I could I could easily spend the entire hour talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you hearing the dinging happen when my son is texting me? No, he ne- it's so I'm weird. Not. Like he never. Okay, good, because he never texts me. He's in college. <laughs> He's in uh, Ohio. He's like, Dad, don't do this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. <laughs> I googled them. Yeah, you're not <laughs> talking to those guys, are you? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so yes, and uh, I grew up with a piano in the house uh, and a guitar. And then when I was four, my parents gave me my first toy drum set. And oh, wow. so really awesome. just it, before I was really verbal or in any other way human, I was already making music and, and I just grew up playing wow. all the instruments and loving music. Do you have any like first bands that you were in, you know, like sure. when you were oh, younger? Boy. <laughs> yep. So from 12 until about 14, wow. I was in a band. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, and it was called... Because oh. oh wow, we were really cool. Yeah. <laughs> that was a cover band. That was uh, that band started because my best friend from about first grade on was uh, a kid who came to the United States. Right then, he he came and joined me in first grade where I was going to school. He from Russia, and his so I used to spend a lot of time with him. And his parents took uh, ESL classes from this guy who was kind of a hustler. He just did anything he could do to make bread. And one of the things he did was he taught English as a second language. My friend Alex had borrowed a guitar from me that wasn't good for much more than shooting deer with because the action was a good inch off the, <laughs> off the fretboard. And he said, oh, do you play? I, I teach guitar. He started teaching Alex guitar and we became Because. Right. Wow. Actually, so that fellow who was teaching them guitar, he actually wound up hiring me to play drums for him in a working general business band that would play like high school proms and whatnot. So I was 15 years old and I was, I was playing shows. I played on a couple of his records around that age. And then in high school, I stumbled into the local, what would be the equivalent of Off-Broadway in New York, but in Chicago, where I grew up. And I played for a couple of shows uh, at theaters in Chicago. So I was, I was working and playing drums from a pretty early age. A lot of people play multiple instruments, like, you know, that we've, we've discovered who we interview, you know, everyone has the, all these, like, hidden talents and stuff. But I was 
you know, hearing your all the music on your site and all the the SoundCloud stuff, I was like, oh wow, he can like play everything. <laughs> like I was yeah. pretty pretty imp- impressed. Yeah, this is kind of like the the coming together of so many years of doing stuff like that. Like I've always played guitar, I've always played all these instruments, and mm-hmm. the only thing that was missing was to sing with any confidence at all mm-hmm. and um, songwriting. Like I I had maybe written two or three songs in my whole life up until this past year and a half, and now mm-hmm. I've written so many songs yeah yeah i've just i've just exploded and they both came out of a sense of confidence that i had never had before and Mm. something about being in my middle age now i'm in my mid-50s now you look great (laughs) thank you very much (laughs) thank you yeah i feel pandemic-y yeah yeah i feel pretty burnt i feel pretty extra crispy but thank you so I don't know. Yeah, everything just kind of came together for me. And now I just do everything that I know how to express as a musician. I can just now do all of it all the time. And it feels yeah. really good. Yeah, I made like three albums during the pandemic so far. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Dave records his demos with me for his That's future true. albums. We try to keep busy. So what brought you into audition for They Might Be Giants? How did that happen? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the tough questions. <laughs> it, well, it's it's kind of like asking, um, you know, where did I come from? Do you have? Do you begin with the creation of the universe? Yeah. <laughs> the chain of people uh, whom I met and started working with that led ultimately to They Might Be Giants goes something like this fellow Dan Seiden at college. We met the very first week of school. We were both walking to jazz band auditions and we became very close friends and bandmates. And he was actually the first really original band I was in. It was called Round Band. So from Dan, I got to know his friend from New York City, Michael Holt. After college, I played with Michael Holt in his band called Pajama Garden. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. I like that one. No, I'm sorry. The band was called Birds and Bombers. That's good, too. And the album was called Pajama Garden. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, I played on that. And then in that band, I met Chris Rail. He was playing guitar. Chris Rail was the center of a very important music community in New York City. He had a label called Fang Records that included many great bands, including um, The Very Pleasant Neighbor, The Mommy Heads. (laughs) That's good. Vodka. (laughs) Uh There were lots of great bands on Fang. Okay, so I started playing with Church of Betty, which was one of his bands. Through Church of Betty, I think I met Brian Woodbury. And that might be a name that you know, because we're getting real close to the Giants now. Mm-hmm. But Brian, Brian is the husband of Elma Meyer. Oh, yeah. oh, wow. Yes, it's I know. A, it was familiar to okay, me. Okay, so yeah. I started yeah. playing with Brian. <laughs> and then we did the song A Whole Lot of Love at the Knitting Factory on a Led Zeppelin night. But we did it in the style of uh, Hindi filmy music in 7-8. Mm-hmm. At that Knitting Factory night was John Linnell. Oh, wow. And John and Brian were, were friends. And in fact, on Brian's first record, I play on a song called They Told You So, which John Linnell plays accordion on. So I, record, I recorded oh, with shit. him <laughs> so long before it ever occurred to me I would get to uh, actually be in his band. Everything they told you, it turns out they were right. But you didn't listen to them. Turns out they were right They said you'd never make it Well, it turns out they were right 
I'm at Brian Woodbury now, and then when they decided to finally put together a band, Brian being one of their trusted friends, and them maybe because they happened to see me that night and knew that I wasn't useless, and maybe because they had heard the recording that John played on, I don't know, whatever, for whatever reason, I was one mm-hmm. of the three people that they called to audition. And wow. uh, somewhere I have that tape too, but I have no idea where it is, oh, uh, where, where I got the answering machine message saying, we'd like you to audition. And I remember getting home and hearing that and just like, this, this isn't real. This isn't actually happening. But it was. What was your context for the band They Might Be Giants? Yeah. Did Were you familiar with them? Good question. Yeah. So when I was going to music school in Los Angeles uh, in the year 1989 to, to 90, Flood was on my turntable basically the entire time. Like I would wow. listen to Toshiko Akiyoshi and I would listen to Charlie Parker and I would listen to this and that. But after each of those things that I had to do for school, I would put on Flood and I just like, I lived and breathed Flood for for. <laughs> year. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was I was a huge I was hugely into their songwriting. I knew Lincoln a little bit, but Flood was really it for me and still to this day is like to me their masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did know about them and I loved their music and when I got the opportunity, I was really psyched and boy did I prepare hard. Yeah. yeah. Boy did I pre- uh-huh. <laughs> Boy did I study. They gave me uh, a tape of 35 songs or so that, you know, this is basically our live repertoire, uh, prepare some of these. I transcribed their stage drum parts for every single one of those songs, note for note, and Mm -hmm. practiced and learned everything note for note. I didn't make anything my own in any way. I was just like, I'm going to make this as comfortable for them as possible. And I went into that audition and there is no way that either of the other guys who are both like incredible drummers, probably better than me in lots of ways. But I was... I loved their music so much and I wanted it so bad and I was so well prepared mm-hmm. that I think I just kind of pulled them over with that. Wow. Do you remember that audition? Like, Oh yeah, I remember it clearly. It was my first time in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. <laughs> I just remember being really nervous and I remember a moment where I felt a, a, just a moment of hope <laughs> because they were surprised that I knew all of the songs they had given yeah. me, that I was, I was prepared on all of them. Yeah, 35 is a lot. And I was performance prepared. I could have easily gone on stage with them in that moment and it would have been fine. I think I picked up on that at least they were impressed. Whether they liked me or thought I was a good player or not, I think they were impressed with my preparation, I think. How much time did you have to wait before finding out if you you passed or not that's a really good question and honestly i don't <laughs> yeah. remember yeah remember remember that this is all this is thir- over 30 years ago so it's yeah. a long long time yeah i just remember where i was standing and where i was living at the time that i got that message from john mm-hmm. hey this is your pastine friend john flansberg from the Happy giants calling just wanted to call you and tell you that you got the gig as our official first drummer so um uh, prepare yourself for a lifetime of torment. 
I was living on the Upper East Side of New York on 73rd Street between 1st and 2nd. And I remember coming home, and this is back when we had telephones, yeah. and every person had a telephone, and it was in your house. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then there was a machine hooked up to it with a magnetic tape, oh, this, yeah. uh, which is where, you know, what do you call it, dial song came from. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I listened to that and, and nearly fell down. I couldn't even believe it. They were, he called me from Europe. Do you remember the songs you did during the uh, audition? It was basically their entire live repertoire from the Flood tour. No, no, wow. from Cut Up Snake, because they were already on mm. the, the Cut Up Snake tour. Yeah. You know, we, we, the, the band happened for the, everything after Europe, so the entire United States and Japan. Wow, so that's a long audition. That's like, you actually did like all the, like... <laughs> I was probably, I was, it was probably 90 minutes, two hours that I was wow. there. Wow, yeah. wow. That's really okay. long. Yeah. Is Damn. it? I don't know. I've I've auditioned for so few things. We've both auditioned for a few bands. Uh, it was well. I've mostly run auditions because yeah, we're always we've auditioned. we're always uh, running out of drummers in my band. Um, <laughs> me, t- me too. What are you guys, Steely fucking Dan? Well, we so we have two separate. It's confusing. Yeah, he has his okay. own band and he's a songwriter, and I have my own band and I'm a songwriter. But for a while, he played. He was yeah. my bass player when we did a lot of shows, and then. He also still does bass for me, just here, you know, recording. Like recording and, you know, he's just kind of yeah. like my go-to gotcha. bass player guy. Gotcha. I, I'm around, basically. Yeah, he lives a block from me. But yeah, I have a punk band dead on a Friday, and I'm the only original member, songwriter, you know, founded the band. But yeah, uh, so gone through a couple guitarist auditions, uh, gone through many, many drummer auditions. I think we've had five or six. We usually give people like three to five songs, and I, I kind of feel like in the first few minutes, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like if you're clicked into something or if the person, totally, yeah. you know, is just an oddball and you can't work with them. Or... Have you watched all the Dream Theater drummer audition? No. No, no what's that? <laughs> uh, those are all available on YouTube. Oh, it's just amazing. All these, like, they got six guys to audition. The most unbelievably technical, you know, prog rock that there is. So, yeah. Wow. It's fun to and, watch. And those. how do you choose that? It's like, he did one extra kick too much. <laughs> As you said, they, they knew. Yeah. They knew right away. Mm. Like, with, yeah, yeah. The guy who was like, the, had the greatest uh, energy mm-hmm. and spirit was the most fun to work with. That's like in, That's the, yeah. in the Metallica documentary, some kind of yeah, monster. The bass, the yeah, bass yeah, auditions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that, yeah. that really stuck in my head. Oh, I love that so much. Because yeah. they all seemed really good, but... There's just that was that there was yeah. that one dude who just seemed so fun and Rob Trujillo. Yeah, very like he just seemed like a, this positive force, you know, and like a team player. And I think back to one moment in that film all the time, <laughs> which is when they're hiring him and they go, "Dude, <laughs> we're gonna give you one yeah, million dollars, <laughs> and that's just a taste." Yeah, that yeah. scene, I laughed so hard. I yeah. love that so much. I think yeah. of that all the time. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just love like there there's just these doofus yeah. kids and they're yeah. just so excited about one million dollars which yeah. you should be yeah, yeah that's yeah. a lot of money but it's just like it made him so it made everybody happy it made them happy to give them the money and then it made him happy to get the money and everybody was happy it was great yeah well it's like um, the, an offering like now you're part of us yep but dave's actually a big metallica fan but the one yeah. metallica thing we experienced together was watching that documentary it's just a great music <laughs> documentary just for musician personalities and all the things that can go wrong in a band yeah so okay so you you make the audition uh what's the next step you just start it's practicing right and just or but you said you were ready so <laughs> yeah yeah we we so again we started rehearsing in williamsburg so i wound up later living in williamsburg because that experience getting to know them there and getting to know that neighborhood i was this place is amazing yeah. and it was at the time i had a two-bedroom for 750 dollars wow. on the l train 
Those of you who know wow. Brooklyn, you think about that. <laughs> every, you just think about that. Every, inter- every interview we've done has someone saying something like that, and it drives me crazy. Seriously? Yeah. yeah. Well, like, 30 years I think ago, Kurt yeah. Hoffman's like, I lived for $100 a month, and blah, blah, blah. And, like, you know, all yeah, these yeah. people say that, and it's just like, oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. Kurt, I, I, first of all, just a momentary digression. I love sure. Kurt Hoffman yeah. so much. Did you hear the uh, the interview with him we did? Because nope. that's a great I'd like to. Yeah. yeah. We were really good in we that. We were great in that. <laughs> he's he's brilliant and he's lovely so we rehearsed i don't remember we didn't rehearse that long we played one you know dark unannounced show at this tiny little bar in williamsburg Mm -hmm. we might have done one other little nothing we might not and our first gig together outside of those little ones was chicago fest or which by then was called taste of chicago in front of i don't know seventy thousand people (laughs) glenn Tilbrook was playing with Steve Naive and um, Pete Thomas, and I met Pete Thomas. Oh, and what was the blues? There was like a, a hit blues guy, Robert Cray. Blues Traveler. Was there? <laughs> no, not Blues Traveler. No, Ro- Robert Cray was his name. He was a Stratocaster yeah. guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those those guys were on stage. I, that was my first gig with They Might Be Giants was in that kind of situation, mm-hmm. playing the Frankenstein drum solo in front of my hometown, yeah. in front of like tens of, I don't know if it was 70, but it was freaking <laughs> lots of people. It looked like that picture I sent you of Washington, D.C. It, mm-hmm. it was that many people. some of the biggest gigs you had done up until that date? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was probably the most people I had ever played for at that time. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I had been on uh, German television. (laughs) I don't know if that counts. It does to me. But uh, no, I'd never had any experience like that at all. Yeah, it was insane. Yeah. Wow. And even and even the the regular gigs that I played at them over the coming the months that followed that were mm-hmm. a very very high level of uh, excitement and and you know energy, you know. I remember um, the Naya Bingy in West Virginia, I think, where I was shaken awake. I was on the tour bus mm-hmm. and I was shaken awake. It's like, we're going on right now. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I remember things like that. Uh, <laughs> I remember it might have been the wharf. No, I'm not going to tell you that story. Never mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Almost. We, we can cut stuff out, by the way. It's we, profane. Anyway, so it's it's not that great a story, but it's is we were going on stage and I had to poop and I said <laughs> and it was time to go on. That's great. I said to John Flansburg, "Do I have time to poop?" And he, I, I remember him putting his hand on my shoulder and saying, <laughs> "JD, 
you always have time to poop. And so I did. By the way, it was it was at the first rehearsal that I became JD. Uh, oh, yeah. Because, Let's talk about that. Well, somebody poked their head into the room and said, phone call John. And three of us went, oh, yeah, like that. Uh, and, yeah. and in that moment, they're like, you know, we got to call you something else. Uh. So I became JD. Now, was that did that end the moment you stopped playing with them? Or do you still... Do you like that? Did you, did it stick I've around? I've never, I've never been called JD except in that particular okay. context. Okay. Yeah. It's learning. not, it's not a name I, I looked for or, or use. Yeah. Okay. I'm Jonathan to everybody who knows me. Any um, observations about just the personalities of John and John, their, their, their working methods or just their hanging out uh, <laughs> methods? All I can tell you about is... The John and John I knew who were 30 years ago, they're probably extremely different people now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and myself 30 years ago, and I'm definitely, I've definitely grown up a lot since then. So I was very young on that tour. I was still yeah. in my early 20s. Wow. And um, they, they are a generation removed from me. They're, I think, I don't actually know how old they are, but I think they're about 10 years older than me. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone on the tour was 10 years older than me or more, mm. like Tony Mamoni had been around. So I was a little bit of an outcast. I, I mm-hmm. was not someone who people really particularly wanted to hang out with, which is wh- one of the reasons why I love Kurt so much is that he was really kind mm. to me on that tour. He really treated me kindly. And we played card games. Like we, we actually had a copy of uh, Hoyle's uh, rules of card games with us. And we would, in fact, sit down together, read the rules to a game and learn mm. how to play it and try <laughs> playing it. So we, mm-hmm. we played Whist and stuff. So I... I didn't really have friends on that tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was kind of lonely. John and John uh, traveled without in a separate vehicle. They were in a van and we were in a, a tour bus. Mm-hmm. So I did not hang out with them that much. The time I spent with them, there's, n- I, there's nothing I could tell you about either of them that would surprise you. Their, their <laughs> yeah. personalities in person are very much reflected in their songwriting and in the way you see them on TV. There's The only thing that surprised me about Linnell is that he how straight he was. Like, not no barely even caffeine, but certainly no alcohol, no drugs, no mm. nothing. And no, John wasn't, wasn't uh, boozing it up either. But at least, yeah. you know, we know about he, he'd had some experience with drugs because he wrote about it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he would have a drink at a restaurant. But right. John Linnell was completely so that interesting. that was interesting about him, I thought. Mm. They were both incredibly smart and funny. They were always perfectly nice to me. Yeah, uh, it was it was <laughs> it was a difficult it was a difficult relationship. I was just I was so, so much younger than everyone. And I think I was yeah. really unfinished as a person, too. And and. I probably would not want to hang out with 23-year-old me <laughs> uh-huh. uh, right now. I don't know, but yeah. I, that's the impression I get. I know what you mean. I don't want to hang out with me now. Yeah, so. <laughs> neither do I. Yeah. Um, neither does Jordan. Do you, um, do you think you had like what they call imposter syndrome? Or were you were you at least confident in the, the music aspect of it? No, that? you know, I... D- I d- I do now at work, but I did <laughs> yeah. not then. I do with everything, so I'm, I'm having it right no, now. No, like as yeah. a musician, I knew where I was at. Like mm-hmm. I was fresh out of music school, and I believe me, yeah. I could play anything uh, fast. Mm-hmm. Right? I I can't do yeah. any of that shit anymore. I I yeah. don't I don't have any chops on anything. I can't play anything with facility, but I can play everything just good enough to fool you and to do a few takes and to move things around. Yeah. But back then I had no doubt whatsoever about my drumming. Yeah. Can you talk about the one thing that you're on, the one release that you're on? And I own this vinyl. Uh, it's no, like no, a, there's it's, two. There's two. Oh, okay. Yes. There's, there's Otanenbaum and then there's the, uh, live at mountain stage, volume five, particle man. Particle man, particle man, doing the things a particle can. What 
Looks like it's not important Particle man Is he a dot or is he a speck? When he's underwater does he get wet? Or does the water get him instead? Nobody knows Particle man Triangle man Triangle man that was a, an extremely uh, technical show to make with mm. really razor thin change margins for like one act to the next. Okay, I was playing the house drum kit. What's the story with that release? Because I'm actually not as familiar with it as as a lot of other. Mountain Stage is a beautiful radio show. Uh, it's where my wife and I saw Olu Dare and uh, Richard Thompson, and it's it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Mm. And we just we were on it. It's just one of those public radio variety music shows. That's all. Mm-hmm. Oh, Tannenbaum is one of the only They Might Be Giants releases with your name on it. The green vinyl. We recorded that um, at a sound check at Hollywood High. Hollywood High. I remember them, Kurt and John, who were the, the two, I mean, they, they could read music. So they were right. looking yeah. at this crumbling ancient paper copy of the German version of O. Tannenbaum. And they insisted, I don't remember looking at it, whether I had my own opinion, but they're like, there doesn't seem to be a repeat here. For, you know, da 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 yeah. da 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 Then everyone goes da 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 But they were like, no, there's no repeat written there, so we're going to play it exactly as it's written. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So we just did that phrase. If you listen to it, you'll hear it. You do that phrase once. Da, 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 da. So it's this weird, completely jarring number of bars that still sure. make, it makes me do. The, I'm for for <laughs> the listeners. I'm I'm raising my shoulders yeah. up to my ears. I can't. I, I don't. Anyway. Yeah, it's funny. It sounds. It kind of sounds like a sound check. Like it has a yeah. has a live loose. <laughs> yeah, like an airy an feel atmosphere. to it. Like yeah, they yeah. they put out an album called Venue Songs, and a lot of the songs <gasps> were recorded in oh, a sound check. And it's yeah. got the same vibe where it's like yeah. you can loose. hear you can hear the room in a way. It's like a. I yeah. really, it's something I really like actually. I love that idea. And then so you you played the Tonight Show with them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's you know that's always like a crazy thing. Um, that was like the first, besides German TV, I guess, right? That Was that the first time That's you were right. on, <laughs> like, you know, national television? I think so. I think so, yeah. But not the last. Uh, so not, I did, I yeah, did the I Tonight know. Show with, um, with the Giants, and I did Letterman uh, with Lisa Loeb later. Yeah. So I, I, it was yeah. very interesting to have done both of those. And I'll, t- and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you the difference. So Tonight Show, first of all, only pleasant experiences of the mm-hmm. people working on that show, and particularly of Branford and mm-hmm. the band, who were so nice to us. They'll be performing uh, July 8th at Ventura Theater in Ventura, California, and August 5th at the Beacon Theater in New York. I'll be joined now by special guest singer Sid Straw, along with uh, Branford and the Tonight Show Brass. Please welcome They Might Be Giant. <laughs>
Somewhere I have in a box the sheet music from uh, the guitar that was oh, cool. Granford's copy, and he signed it for me. And he oh, was, wow. They were just so nice. And the, the trumpet player, whose name is not coming to mind, f- just freaked out about us, just loved <laughs> Playing with our uh, so that every time we came to LA or nearby, he would be like, "Hey, can I come play with you guys?" You know, oh, wow. I think he did once or twice. So that was that experience. But technically, it's a union show, and so you literally couldn't touch a microphone stand without three guys there to have their <laughs> yeah. hands on it. And also, I was playing inside one of those acrylic drummer boxes, mm-hmm. which is I I had never done that before, and I I didn't enjoy it much. Mm-hmm. And it didn't sound good on stage. You know, inside one of those boxes, it can't. Letterman was the best stage sound I will ever have in my life. And really? I don't know if, if you're anything like me growing up, learning your instrument, playing along to records, which is a, a lot of how I learned how to play drums, put on headphones and play. I felt like I was playing on a record in that wow. moment. It was wow. sounded, the sound was just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. You could cry. It had like, oh, I better stop. Anyway, yeah. it was amazing. <laughs> well, you know that there's, Letterman has this, um, People have noticed he has like a fascination with drums and drummers. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He came over. He, he, yeah. <laughs> and I people have that. pointed out to me that he shook my hand and he yeah. didn't shake any of the other band members. Yeah. Hands. So uh, some, someone made a, yeah, comp- yeah. this might be on YouTube or it might have just been like a tweet, but someone made a compilation of him going right up to the drummer and going no like, way. nice drums. What are those drums? <laughs> yes. And it's like, he totally did. He said, is that, is that, are those your drums? I, he asked <laughs> me like whether that was my drum kit or a rental. Yeah. He always like, says, oh, are those mine. your drums? Yeah. So he said that, yeah. he says that to every drummer. <laughs> it's like so strange. It's because drums are cool. Man. It's such a strange question. I love question. that so much. Yeah. I love that so much. That makes so me that, so that might be why the sound was so great too. Maybe he was just like, the drummer's got to have the best. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. maybe. Yeah. I, yeah. My monitors were incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So, so okay. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah. They so might you, be giants. Yeah. The Tonight Show, uh, you did Statue Got Me High and the, the guitar. And the guitar. Yeah. yeah. With Sid. With Sid Straw. Yeah. Sid Straw. <laughs> Sid is a great, a great artist and a great human being. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I asked this to Brian Doherty as well. Are there extra nerves when it's national television? I think I asked this to Kurt also because I'm fascinated with this idea that a million people are going to see you tonight. How do you mentally prepare for that? And and these people are not like fans of the band. It's not like at a live show where a lot of them are fans. So you're really making an impression, you know? I don't remember being particularly, particularly nervous. Like, certainly Mm -hmm. there's a kind of nerve jazz that you get because you're doing this thing where there's a little bit of pressure. But even um, on The Tonight Show, it happened that, you know, applause lights, we're back. All right, we're here with They Might Be Giants. Here they are now with the guitar. Wait, wait, hold it, hold it. So they stopped. They're like, we got to do that again. Not your fault. We had oh, a technical wow. thing. So like, so the, the stakes were, aren't quite as high as you might be led to okay, believe. Okay, yes. Oh, interesting. Um, wow. But sure, yeah, but for sure you're aware that like, you don't want to fuck up. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but we were, we were really well prepared. You know, we, we were really well prepared. So mm-hmm. I, I never felt nervous in the kind of performance anxiety yeah. way. It was more like a pleasant, energetic nervousness right. that mm-hmm. we get before big shows. Ah, pleasant nervousness. <laughs> What's that like? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's good. It gives you good good performances. Yeah, I want to get some of that. So um, mm-hmm. I guess the next step is that you, you left the band. Um, I don't know how much you want to get into that, but I'm going to put it out there. I'm, I'm happy to tell you from my perspective what sure, happened. I, I have no idea what happened from anyone else's perspective. <laughs> okay. So I got back. Uh, our last show was on the New Year's Eve between 92 and 93. It was, it was in um, Philadelphia, Theater of the Living Arts. 
Yeah, okay, so we played that, and we got back, and I was talking before about how I was pretty young and inexperienced. I didn't know anything about anything. Sure. Uh, certainly nothing about the music business. So I bring a ton of ignorance to the relationship that I had with the band as a, as a business entity, mm-hmm. right? Because I didn't deal directly with John and John for that stuff. I dealt with Jamie Kitman yeah. and, and his crew. And they were perfectly professional with me, but nobody ever took me aside and said, here's how things are. So mm-hmm. what happened was we get back. I have no idea if and when there's going to be another show or what's going on. Uh, I got a job at HBO. I got a, a consulting job doing computer programming for HBO. Wow. And then things were going very well with the band Church of Betty. We planned a tour to uh, Germany and Austria in spring of 93, I guess. It, it, it was some spring. It was either 93 or 94, whatever it was. When I finally got a phone call from Flans, I think it was, my memory is that he said, hey, do you happen to be available on this date and this date? And I was like, uh, you know, th- I'm just going to be getting back from a tour at that time, and I don't want to blow this other gig that I've got. Um, so I don't, I think no. What I didn't understand about that conversation is that what he was saying is, do you wish to continue to be our drummer yeah. at all? Uh, and wow. I was saying, no, I do not. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that, that that was the conversation that yeah. we were having, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the truth. That's, that is why I'm not in They Might Be Giants anymore. Having said that, it's fine. I, it hurt at the time when I realized that sure, I was yeah. out and that I was out without really being, you know, related to in a way that you would want to. If there was no ceremonial, like, no, you know, yeah, no, goodbye, the, it's your last show. But yeah, nobody threw poop on my shoes and said, "I break with thee." That's a Steve Martin line. Oh, okay. <laughs> I break with thee. Um, yeah, no, I, so I just, I, I accidentally quit the band, but it's, it was probably the right thing to do considering, you know, all what of the growth like... and crazy experiences I've had since then. I don't think, for example, that if I'd stayed with the Giants that I would have played drums on a number one single. you about the Lisa Loeb thing because I, I discovered this sure. while Googling you for this interview. I had no idea that was you on that song. So, so you're on like the number one hit song, Stay, which is just like for a lot of people, a really seminal like 90s song. I, every, everybody knows oh, it. I, I'm sorry to correct you. I, it's actually Sandstorm by Darude that I played drums on. <laughs> oh, okay. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. That's, 
Yeah. How, how did, how did that come about? Cause I, I listened to the song a bunch this week be, to just kind of get it back in my head. And it really, it's like a time warp in a way the, the, just the sound of it. I, I had been friends with Lisa since, uh, co- she was a year behind me at school and wow. my friend, Dan McKenzie, he and I kind of convinced Liz and Lisa, Lisa Loeb and, and uh, Liz Mitchell to do it with a band. Cause they were kind of a folk esque, not folk. They, they don't do folk music, but they were, you know, yeah. guitar and vocals. So that's, uh, we were like, you guys, you, you should do a band and it should be us. Yeah. So I played drums and he played bass. And so I've, I just, I've known her since then. And after music school, I came to New York and she was one of the people I came to play with. And at the time, Chad Fisher was playing drum set for her. So I played percussion. So I wanted to, I was curious, like, did you, before this song became like this huge hit, did you have a sense? No. Let's say when you're just playing gigs, like, oh, this song stands out, or did, was it just one of all the was one of many songs? No, no. I, I almost never believe people when they say that, but I, <laughs> I know that it's true. But I, I, you hear a lot of interviews with people being like, we had no idea it was a single. And oh, not in any way. No, how could you have? No, yeah. we had songs that I liked a lot better than that song. Like when we were, when we play it live, I remember playing shows with her. So th- there's several parts to answer the question of how that came to be. One, sure, one yeah. is that Lisa, from the time I knew her in college, uh, was always uh, extremely uh, diligent about promotion, getting the name out there, making sure people knew about the shows. She just worked really hard all the time. So that's a that's part of the story. Is that she was always mindful of those aspects of music or of entertainment that to me were like anathema. I had no interest in knowing about her or anything, mm-hmm. yeah. which is why I was a really, really shitty band member for <laughs> lots of people. Like I didn't have any interest in touring. I didn't, I just wanted to make songs that I liked. So in New York, that was still true. Like she really hustled to get good gigs and to make sure people knew about them. And our crowd grew. And so by before any of that crazy stuff happened with the number one song, we could pack some of the premier rock clubs in New York. And it was mm. awesome. Being on the road with Lisa was when uh, Bjork Post came out and Liz Fair Exile on, in Guyville, Exile in Guyville. Mm-hmm. We listened to those records in the touring van and just were just, we were so devastated by both of them. Like, man, this is, this is so incredible. How can yeah. these things exist? But as with so many things in life, uh, it really came about because Lisa was just friends with Ethan Hawke. They were, they, they <laughs> lived in the same neighborhood and they knew each other through various circles and Lisa helped Ethan with his theater company by, you know, helping him promote and, and do fundraisers and things. And so when he made uh, that movie with Ben Stiller, I don't know, he, he had he had enough juice to get the song into the closing credits. Dave, how come you're not Ethan Hawke? Oh, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, that in itself wouldn't have been enough. But but then there was a, a DJ in Texas who loved the song and... Mm-hmm. It just, it just, honestly, we recorded that song in her boyfriend's bedroom. Mm -hmm. Sexy. I think his underwear (laughs) was still on the bed. Sorry, Juan. I don't know if that's true. Um, Juan Patino, who produced that recording, it was one of a zillion songs we recorded. There was nothing about that that said hit. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, but boy, did it touch a lot of people. Well, because the, structu- the structure of it is strange. Uh, you it's know, really I, weird. I, I never thought yeah. about it before this week, um, but actually it was like a YouTube comment that kind of alerted me to it because I, oh, re- yeah. I, I was reading the comments under the music video, which is like an iconic music video for the 90s. The only thing that ever repeats in that song is the opening and closing line that's it yeah yeah it just it just keeps going and going everything else is just like through written kind of poetry yeah yeah it's it's very it's very odd but it made me actually like the song more you know 
what what's that whirlwind like when you're you've you're playing you've it's played great. you have played drums <laughs> on a number one song? I knew it was great. All that stuff. How, how did <laughs> how, how did Lisa Loeb re- respond to that? How did you respond? How did you know what what happens after that? Just as someone who will never have that happen. Yeah, about, never. <laughs> oh, what? so never. Well, all right. So Lisa responded in the the Lisa way, which is like super carefully, deliberately. There was so much pressure on her yeah. to follow up that experience with a, a record, with an LP. You'd, I'd have to ask her, like, she and I have, have done very little unpacking of that time. Mm. So we've done a little bit of the unpacking of our relationship, uh, beca- partly because, well, she fired me. <laughs> to, not to put too fine a point on it. Uh, she fired me. Okay. Um, and I, I'd be happy to talk more about that. But Well, I always love hearing firing stories because I've got many myself. No, it's, but it's not, it's, not, it's not interesting in that way. It's yeah. More yeah, like, yeah. Nah, this is just not the situation that she wanted. She didn't want me and the guitarist at the time. Uh, she let us both go at the same time. There was no rancor. Not only was there no rancor, but she treated me incredibly well. She gave me a, a cut of the record, hey. which I wow. then went on to live on for two years and wow. parlayed into the uh, technical career that I have now. Um, by awesome. kind of, I went to continuing ed and, and got some more skills, and I ate a lot of pad thai for those couple <laughs> years. Yeah. Which which is still my favorite food. <laughs> oh yeah. No, no, she was it was never there was no rancor whatsoever. It was just her like taking care of herself and putting together the the kind of people she wanted to be surrounded by. And I already alluded like I I could be I was pretty abrasive um <laughs> I think. <laughs> Uh, back then, and I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if you know the Giants were like, okay, well, <laughs> we can get rid of this guy who's kind of a, a squeaky wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I have, I had very strong feelings and opinions about music, still do. Yeah. Uh, but now I, it doesn't matter because I'm, I'm writing my own songs and I can make those decisions myself. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, just like to go back, like so you have this, you're on this number one single, and like, yeah. When when you when you were fired when you left the band, I was trying to say it nice. When you left the band, like how long after the single happening was that? Would you, were you like how long were you in that orbit? Oh well, the single happened, and then we spent a really long time preparing to make the LP. Okay, uh, Tales, it's called. We did a lot of what you might call pre-production. We went to a, a studio in uh, Bearsville, New York, I think. Oh, and had a wonderful couple, a really wonderful couple of weeks. I think I know what you're the studio you're talking about. Yeah, so we, we spent a long time preparing. We got a producer who really actually did change our sound. Mm. My own inclination with Lisa's music, and uh, I think we all kind of fell into it naturally, was a slightly more poppy approach, and he <laughs> really pulled his hair out trying to get me to literally just to open my hi-hat a little bit for certain beats, <laughs> and just to rock out a little bit more. And I think ultimately the band that Lisa really wanted to put together was a much more rock-oriented band, because mm. I'm not, I'm super deliberate with my drumming, and I have very kind of specific Specific references in mind when I'm and and big open <laughs> is not one of them. Dave Grohl, <laughs> mm. <sighs> yeah. my lo- no. So yeah, if yeah. I'm playing if I'm playing that kind of energy, then of course I can do that. Yeah, yeah. But I just didn't feel it for Lisa's music, and she did. And you know, mm. God bless her. She has had an excellent career mm-hmm. and deserves it. But it, but to go back to the question you keep trying to ask me, it was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just remember. Uh, okay, so yeah, we made the record, and then we did a whole bunch of stuff to promote the record. We did like. MTV in Europe. Mm. We we did uh, Top of the Pops. That was 
awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's where you're lip, you're like miming, right? Yes, and in fact, there you can find uh, the videotape of us on top of the pops, and you can see me sarcastically playing a basically disassembled what? drum set because <laughs> I I was so not into the whole thing that I uh, I did that. Yeah, there's like a Kurt Cobain, there's like a Nirvana yep. thing where Nirvana he's just did like, the same fuck thing. this. <laughs> oh, and what's what's funny is that Cindy Lauper was doing top of the pops on the day we were there. Oh wow, we were talking so she had brought some friends to prepare pre- to pretend to play the song right <laughs> not people who actually play the instruments yeah yeah she just had and so the woman who was pretending to play drums for her we re- we started to, i don't remember how it happened but we realized or discovered or found out from her that we had just seen her singing on stage a few weeks before uh at the steely dan show she's one of the steely dan singers oh wow she's incredible like an incredible musician and we have pictures with her <laughs> that was <laughs> cool. a very happy weird little meeting there i always wondered about this with hit singles do you get fatigued? Do you get sick of it? No. Do you get sick of hearing it, playing it? No, you're just, it's just excited, you know, because no. I always, when I see bands playing the hit, their hit single for so long, I'm always just like, you know, is there any sort of a feeling of like, we've got better songs. Why is everyone so excited about this song? That kind of thing. I mean, you'd really have to ask her because I wasn't yeah, in yeah. the band that long. Um, mm-hmm. my, but I've seen her play solo a, a bunch of times since then. And she always kind of introduces the song by addressing that question, saying, no, the song is so meaningful to me. And and the longer it goes, it takes on different meanings. And mm. a lot of the meaning now is about the effect it has on other people. So like she has a relationship with the song. I think James Taylor talks about fire and rain in a similar way where it's like, yeah, in rehearsal, he might do it sarcastically like this, <laughs> but in the moment yeah. he's performing it, it he, he doesn't have to summon those feelings. He's able to kind of just live mm-hmm. the impulse that led to that song. And I, I totally get that. That's interesting. Yeah. I always, I just always think about that because some artists go through a phase like, you know, like when Frank Black, who he was in one of your photos, which is exciting for me. I'm like a huge fan. Um, yeah. Like when he started his solo career it was like no pixie songs, like yeah. no, but then he totally went the other way and then incorporated them. And then his shows, my favorite period of his solo shows, just from like watching YouTube videos and stuff is like where it's just seamlessly incorporates the Pixie songs into his Mm -hmm. solo songs. And, and 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 I, I kind of like those versions better than when the Pixies play those songs. Mm. Okay. So, um, the last they might be giants related thing, really uh, the Peter Pan song. So, so this is, this is what I've gathered. They wrote, a, a little song for this Peter Pan direct-to-video cartoon sequel called Now That uh, the song is called Now That You're One of Us. Now that you're one of us, you can sing along. We are so proud of you that you can do the wrong. And we don't even care if you fall on our hands. These are the things that lost boys. These are the things that lost girls. These are the things we yeah so this is i am not on this recording that's what i thought that's what i thought because i'm just like wow that's awesome no that's not me to me it sounds like an orchestra that's why i was confused when i read about this and i was like um i think what you're on might be the demo so the song I played on was almost certainly called The Island of Lost Boys. Interesting. I mean, that was that was definitely the the hook. It's a, oh, your door's opening. Yeah. Look out behind you. Oh my God, is that a dog? Oh, I, think. I hope it's yours. What? Your dog, your, <laughs> Did he poop the door your open? dog, your door opens like in a horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, oh. there, that's Milo. 
Okay, so tell us at least the story. Maybe, I wonder if th this demo is anywhere. Was it out of the blue? He calls you, emails you? What, yeah. what happened? Yeah, it was like, it was not too long after we got back from the New Year's Eve show. It, I, I didn't know, you know, what was going to happen with the band anymore or whatever. So he uh -huh. got a, he gave me a call. It just felt like a natural thing. Like, yeah, I'll come over. Let's, let's do this. Mm. Wow. If this was this long ago. Wait, so what, this was like the, because this is like a newer movie. It would have been li literally in the month's. You know, just a few months following our return from Philadelphia. Two, 2002. 2002 it came out. Okay. Oh, that's a long... Maybe I'm misremembering, but I, I, yeah. I don't think I ever spoke to anybody related to the Giants again ever. Wow. After that phone call where I, I quit the band. <laughs> so, you know, because my perception was like 20 years later, they called you to do percussion for some reason on a, on a demo, which seems so strange to me. Do you know what? Honestly, yeah. it's possible. And for the whole time that I was living in uh, New York, I made a lot of music with a lot of people. Like I, I, I have a drawer full of CDs downstairs of all the work that I did in that time. So, like, Flans calling me to do a thing like that would be just so kind of quotidian that I, I can't, I wouldn't be able to place it mm -hmm. in my memory. I wish I knew what quotidian meant. <laughs> Every day. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> Thank you. you. You play on this demo, and that, it, that seems like it was just a quick in and out thing as far as it yeah, sounds yeah. like. Yeah, um, wow. I, I came into his house. I was like, oh, look, there's Dial-A-Song. I looked <laughs> at the machine. <laughs> That's cool. And yeah. he's like, yep, that's it. Wow. We sat there and I remember like throwing a light bulb into a trash can to make it crash and recording that. Like we, we had such a good time for an hour. That was that was the only time I ever saw either of them again after yeah. the, the tour, after my touring ended with them was when I went to his house and recorded that song. So I, I wanted to talk to you about your current musical project, which is on, sure. which is yes. on SoundCloud and your site. And we're going to send links and stuff because I've been listening to these songs a lot. Oh, They're awesome. getting in my head. They're really I'm fun. <laughs> Why don't you just explain what the, the concept is for our faithful listeners? Nice. <laughs> for Dave. Yeah, and me. Right when the pandemic started, not too long after, <laughs> it actually, I think it all started with my wife accidentally breaking my old acoustic guitar. <laughs> Uh, it, well, no, the, let me, let me okay. rephrase that. What happened was I had left the acoustic guitar in its case on the bed, but unlatched. Okay. So it was your fault. So when she perfectly reasonably picked it up by the handle, it <laughs> spilled out of the case and the neck cracked. Yeah. And I swear to you in that moment, I was my, the only thing I thought was thank God. Cause I've wanted a new acoustic guitar for years and years, <laughs> sure. but you can't justify an expense like that. Yeah. yeah. So I went out and bought yeah. that guitar mm -hmm. and fell in love with it and just started playing it all the time. And then like I had dribs and drabs of audio gear around. So I just, I made a recording actually of the song dying by XTC, which I didn't oh. share with you. Oh my God. Um, Cause I feel less confident about the, oh. that particular recording. But anyway, mm. I, I was like, Oh, that's fun. I have access to, this technology that lets me make music. Yeah. And from there, 
I started doing stuff. Ultimately, I wound up doing a few covers and sharing them on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, no Thugs in Our House was the first so, one where so people were like, whoa, that's really good. That blew my mind. I listened to that just a few hours ago. Uh, it sounds ex- oh, awesome. exactly like the, the album. <laughs> yeah. I've heard that song so yeah. many times. Yeah, me too. Yeah, <laughs> as, yeah, from XTC fan to XTC fan. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. The drum sound. You've got that big English settlement drum yep. sound. Dave's a little out of the loop here. He doesn't that's know okay. XTC very much. Yeah, I'm listening. <laughs> but, that's interesting. Yeah, that's the that's yeah. the Steve Lillywhite sound. Yeah. So that was incredible. So yeah, that's that's an example of the. I have basically two different kinds of covers. There's the kind that are production etudes, which is what that is. It's like me just can. How close can I get with this crappy equipment that I have? Um, and then there's the cover where I'm actually trying to do something, uh, you know, that that's that's different. So I was so enjoying the reaction I was getting and, and just kind of sharing things with people that I came up with this insane idea to have people request cover songs. Yeah. And I asked, please give me a song. And it has to be, the rules were it has to be a song that you love. Can't be something... That you love unironically. It has to sure, be a song yeah, you yeah. really care about. No torture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just nothing that's just like, ah, ha, ha, this will bust his balls. And I want some kind of constraint, which I did not give any examples of because I didn't want to poison anybody's imagination. I would say about a third of the people forgot to give me a constraint. That was fine. I just did the song. Uh, but everyone else said really interesting, fun things, like there must be some acoustic guitar on it. Well, okay, the entire thing is just acoustic guitar and voice then. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that mm. I, that I really had fun with. I very highly recommend as an art-making practice uh, getting constraints mm. yeah, from, oh, from wherever sure. you can get them. So anyway, that happened. It went well. It ended, uh, and I got really depressed for like three months. I lost the thing that had given my life structure and meaning and energy. What Interestingly, as it was ending, I had the idea of writing songs based on request, but was terrified because I didn't write songs. I don't you yeah. know. How, what if I get into that and I can't get out? And then all these things happened around the same time. One thing that happened was it wasn't exactly a religious experience, but I was taking a walk and had the idea to do this project of song requests, and I suddenly felt happy for the first time in months yeah i was just like oh this is exciting though and i noticed it and i was like okay i gotta do that then i told i know exactly what you mean yeah. you know yeah yeah i've had those those times it was yeah. really frightening but i was like this it gives me energy then i have mm. to go there mm-hmm. at the same time lisa loeb uh and some people she was working with at the time came to me and said hey we're doing musical theater thing over the internet that's going to be about the pandemic mm. you know would you like to write a song for it and i was like yeah <laughs> sure. Wow. I didn't know yeah. how, but I was like, well, writing a song for theater is easy, right? They give you the characters. Yeah. They give you the story that's been happening to them. They give you the scene that it's happening in, where you need to go and where you're starting. I, that's easy. That's like, I can do that. That's fine. And I could. I see your unmade bed. I see your yoga ball. I see the books you've read I 
kind of led to an, another and I started writing songs and, and became um, I wouldn't, it's never easy it's a lot of work but it became it just feels natural to me now to write songs. I, I still have no idea what I'm going to do when I'm going to write a song. I just I've, I've spent a lot of time talking to other songwriter friends about the process and my understanding of songwriting for me is uh, generating garbage just tons and tons of garbage and then <laughs> You have this other part of your brain that's kind of the song recognizer. Yeah. And then it goes, oh, that sounds a little bit like a song. And you go, okay, well, I'll do more of that. And you, it just, it's like one of those generative mm. adversarial networks that they have in machine learning these days where you, this song comes out of nowhere. It comes out, it garbage, just garbage, yeah. just noise. And uh, you filter out the noise and you find the, the you, you carve away all the stuff that isn't part of the song. And, and mm. there you are. I'm tr- what has I'm, legs? Yeah, I'm trying to think of that. I, that's how I do it because I've written a few hundred songs. Uh, oh my god! This, this is the one thing where we're flipped around. I'm, I like. I feel like I'm. I know what I'm talking about now, and I, you know. Yeah, sure. Um, it's like the only thing I, I have confidence in is songwriting because it's like. Oh well, that's a very good place to be. I, I can't do anything else. Yeah, no. It's sometimes it, it's it, a lot of times it's come out fully formed. Shockingly, um, a lot of my favorite songs of mine were the ones that came out almost in real time. Like I wrote that in 20 minutes and it's usually, those usually become people's favorites. Like when I would play live and stuff and the ones that I've spent years writing and rewriting are the ones I just almost don't even want to think about (laughs) because Mm. I just can't crack it. That didn't even happen to me until the song boy. I don't know if you watched that that video. I did. Yeah. That's it. That was great. that was a great song. That one took months of wow. agony. Wow. I had the initial impulse and I had the music very quickly. The mm. the idea of an ostinato. The same, yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah, and all those nice chords. I knew. I just knew I wanted that there. Um, I had that and I had a melody. And then the lyrics were the process of literally months of workshopping mm. with friends and with my wife uh, and everyone being like, no, that's that doesn't make any sense. You're doing too much. <laughs> yeah. And finally, yeah. after letting it go for a long time, it, the thing you, you heard. It was a beautiful day. The afternoon had just begun. My mind was far away. Water glinted in the sun My boy was climbing a tree He clambered to a dying limb He was waving to me When it cracked and fell from under him As I watched him fall And ran to where he lay He looked so still and small He seemed so far away And the boy said Yeah, it's weird how hard lyrics can be because... You can, oh, God, there's no like you can do whatever you want. Like I it's feel the, like they get harder the more songs you write. Yeah, they do. They yes, do. that's totally been my yeah. my experience. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why that is. I thought like yeah. Yeah, I, I thought know. you know I'd get, no, it's harder and harder and harder. My, like uh, I've said that before, or yeah, a million said, people have said that. Why should I even bother? Yeah. Or is this trite? 
Um, what am I bringing to this? I haven't uh, struggled too much with the, has this been said before? For me, it's more, what is it that I'm trying to say? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The Great Minds Think Alike, the country song. Yeah, that one's really, really nice. As soon as I had the concept, it's a country western song and it's about these idiots who are in jail. <laughs> and, you know, the, okay, that that's, it's just pastiche or it's, it's genre yeah. and you know what to do. I'm actually writing a real song about something that really means something to me. Yeah. What am I saying? What is this song about? Yeah. And there've been a few others like that where mm -hmm. uh, now it's actually me. It's not genre anymore. And that that's really hard. I've had the same Scary. experiences because I've also done a lot of custom songs and I, I had a website for a while. I still do, but no one goes to it anymore. But called writeasongaboutme.com where mm -hmm. people could order a song and pay me. And, and I've done about like 30 of them. Wow. And a lot of those, some of them were very easy because sort of like you said, like they gave me such specific, yeah, like yeah. this is a song for my boyfriend. He loves Mystery Science theater 3000 you know so i'm like <laughs> got it but then um what i found though was that spending like a very focused few years doing those well, then i would i really got uh i went blank when i was just like i just want to write a song for myself for you know for no reason and then yep, i was like yep. what do i write about and it's that I've, i'm only just now starting see i i'm a genius because i solved that problem people <laughs> told me what to write yeah, about yeah. I, oh, yeah like that's the, the the very hardest part of writing a song totally handled all i gotta yeah, do is write it, the music it is now. it is hard so like I, i'm only just now it's really like a muscle because i notice that if i write a song if i just force myself and i do it the rest of the week, I get all these song ideas. They just pop in my head. Oh, interesting. But then if wow, I, if wow, I wow, stop, wow. it just goes completely. I even dream, like, I dreamt a bunch of songs, like, a month ago. And I recorded them. And, you know, because oh, it's like my brain starts That's getting... It's cheating. like it, It's almost like <laughs> caffeine. Like, my brain starts getting all pumped up, like... Oh, now we're gonna do this song idea. Now we're gonna do this. But when I go, um, when I go kind of like in vacation mode where I don't do it, it like dries up and it's very hard. Well, you should do what Mike Errico says in his new book called Music, Lyrics, and Life. He says uh, that you should journal every day. You should write yeah. three pages every day, no matter what. Yeah. Well, I tweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's great, because I write very, very short songs, so it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. There are some songs where it's easy. Like, I challenge you to a duet. That almost gives itself to you. Like, you, you just find yeah. all the things having to do with a duel. Yeah. And, yeah. and go. To focus on, I challenge you to a duet. Because our the people who listen to the show will know Elma Meyer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's that's a really funny, you know, interesting song. Especially, I really love when things really rev up and you're, you're going a mile a minute with the vocals. And I know you've heard that you can sing. But this is quite a different thing. I'll wait a moment while you get a blindfold and a cigarette. I challenge you to a duet. If my barrage of semi-quiver doesn't lead you to the very obvious conclusion that you're heading for disaster, I don't know if anything that anyone could say could possibly get through to you. You're living in a dream. If you believe that I could be intimidated by the ravings of a silly so-and-so with air between the ears, you're delusional. You'll never even make it to the field of battle. Look at you, you're running out of steam. 
ask your friends just who I am. You're not the worst I've run into. And then prepare your diaphragm. I've sung with tougher guys than you. Elma and Brian have been dear, dear friends of mine for 30 years now, so she hadn't sung for a very long time, and she was a little hesitant to do it. Yeah, I was thinking of that. But she did it. I love her very much. Yeah. Her record from the very early 90s. The Green Shade. Yeah. is so beautiful. It's yeah. so deep. She's a really profound musician, so I have only, like, love and respect for her. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, I thought it was funny because she asked me to write this song, I Challenge You to a Duet, so I thought yeah. it, it had <laughs> had to be her it had of to course. be her and i also know what she's like and like her spirit is what i wrote for her she's not she's not combative but she's she's extremely spirited way back when 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 we used to hang out was a, a great swearer like she could really <laughs> cuss yeah uh, <laughs> anyway she uh so that's all i just i was thinking it was just written out of my affection for her and also for and also an attempt to impress brian her husband who was <laughs> yeah. a great a very you know a great and extremely prolific songwriter mm-hmm. and i just wanted to do something that would amuse him yeah it's really i, I think people who listen to our show will, will find it really interesting because she's she hasn't done she's got the one album and not much else to hear her, yeah. her, her vocals on. Yeah. So, so that's great. I wanted to talk to you about uh, XTC because you mentioned that you did audition for them. And yeah. I've got to just hear about that because, you know, like I said, they're, they're one of my favorite bands. Just as I met um, the Giants through Brian Woodbury, I also met a fellow called Dave Yazbek, who has, uh, had a great band in New York City uh, and then wrote uh, The Full Monty. He wrote the music for The Full Monty. He was friends with XTC, particularly Dave Gregory. Yeah. So when they were uh, thinking about making what I think turned out to be to be Apple Venus, he hooked me up with them, and they invited me to send them uh, audition CDs. Wow. So I worked on those with Brian and with Elma, and wow. uh, they were really, they were. I didn't really have a lot of good work to give them. Like I didn't have a lot of super well recorded, really like I had nothing that sounded like XTC that I could give them and say, "Look, you can hire me and you can you can trust." Mm-hmm. But I gave them the best that I had. But we made each of them a custom CD that had a song and then had Elma saying, "This disc was made." especially for you, <laughs> Colin Molding. <laughs> wow. And we'd like you to sit back now and listen to the Lower East Side sounds of Fluffer. <laughs> Fluffer being one of the bands I was in. Yeah. So yeah, we did, but we did that individually voiceover CD for each of them. And, you know, I worked really hard on making sure that I had printed the right one for the right person and sent them off. Mm-hmm. And what came out of it was not <laughs> ever playing with them, but yeah. I had like an hour long phone call with Dave Gregory. That's cool. Which wow. was certainly a huge highlight for me, just, you know, talking to an artist. And, and he's one of those artists who, when you talk to him, you're not disappointed. He was so not a jerk. He was so nice. Mm-hmm. And we had a friendly argument over. For whether I or Andy Partridge uh, were the better um, tambourine player, which I enjoyed. <laughs> and I also the only the other one I really want to talk about is just "Better," which is like a really just fantastic pop song. Um, Thank you. I, I feel like you're going for a Beatles thing there, but to me, it really sounds like Andy Partridge. Like, especially I'm his. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, especially his later, the ones from the from the '90s, like his later demos, sound like that song. I'm so. I'm in a sense. I'm glad that you said that because mm-hmm. I actually set out to write an Andy Partridge song. That okay. was <laughs> that was my entire intent. And if you listen to it again, you will hear a rhythm guitar part that is a our, our pe- not arpeggios, but just a, it's a through written. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah. was 100% me trying to write an XTC 
song. But the more the more I got into it and the more the production proceeded, it it just moved away from that and it became what to me sounded like a traveling Wilburys song. And that's really <laughs> Okay, yeah, yeah. Sure. Where where it wound up. And I was perfectly happy to let it go there. But no one else has noticed the um the XTC influence there. So I'm really oh, it's, really it's happy you very, said that because it was a hundred percent my intention to write yeah. an XTC song there. <laughs> that you had worked on something called Wordle in the past and now there's this huge <laughs> yeah. sensation called Wordle yeah. but it's but it's not you nope. and I, I actually had to triple check that because I was like I was wait ask about that. is he like a tech billionaire now <laughs> Yeah. My Wordle was uh, a, a word cloud maker, uh-huh. and mm. it was big too. There was a time mm, when you yeah. could not look at anything without there being a Wordle plastered to it. Wow! It actually made my whole career because I made it when I was at IBM in research there, and I think because of Wordle, there was a particular hiring manager at Google who wanted me, and uh, mm-hmm. without that, there's no way I would have ever gotten into to Google because I, I have such a my resume is like Swiss cheese. <laughs> sure. Oh yeah, I know. I know what that's like. It's full of like being on tour with bands and not doing anything in particular. Like what <laughs> what happened to these six years here? I can't yeah. explain it. So yeah, just like having made this one thing got me into Google, and wow. since then I've like I've been very very happy at Google and. My career has really changed who I am and what I do. Like I'm a hmm. I'm a manager now. I never thought I was going to be a manager <laughs> yeah. of anything, but I'm an engineering <laughs> manager, and that seems to be something that fits me. So did yeah, you did you copyright the word Wordle? Is the question? <laughs> <laughs> nope. Yeah, you wouldn't copyright it. Let's oh, we can okay. talk about law. You would you would trademark, trademark. it. Trademark it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know anything about anything. I got threatened <laughs> once by somebody who I think was making greeting cards, but I got pro bono legal representation and, and I sicked them off. And the, the, the lawyer who helped me said something to me I will never forget. When I said, should I, should I counter sue the guy? Should I sue him? And he, and he said, when you sue someone, when you're entering the legal system, you're dancing with a bear and the bear always leads. So, that's great. That's uh, great. I took that metaphor to heart and yeah, I sure. don't sue anybody. Well, that's a good, I think that's a good ending for, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> for this so podcast too. about music. Yeah. yeah. Well, I wanted Stay to thank, out of trouble, kids. I wanted to thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks. It is my pleasure. I enjoyed it. hear that dave it was his pleasure and he enjoyed it <laughs> i sure did and jordan i uh, i felt the same way i i love great it was great i love talking to jonathan and by the way like his songwriting if you check his soundcloud his songwriting is getting better and better and better it was really awesome hearing his drums on all those clips yeah crazy kick action man yeah crazy kick action that's what i'd say yeah i love hearing drums yeah
I've <laughs> what <laughs> was that? Was that too general? <laughs> I love hearing drums. Any drums, Dave, or, or all drums? <laughs> all drums, all the time. All drums, all the t- all drum action, yeah. all the time. So thank you, Jonathan Feinberg, for all yes. the drums you play <laughs> and all the nice save. All right, <laughs> and all the the laughs along the way. Yeah. I always lately I've been ending every episode with a rhyme. I don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> it's like a, something just feels like that's how you end something really yeah, well. I think it's great. I think your everyone's like final words on their deathbed should be a rhyme. <laughs> or a horrible secret. Or a secret, yeah, a secret that then causes a domino effect yeah, of that destroys the family. Intrigue and drama and and action and drum action. If you enjoyed this episode, you might enjoy our other episodes and, of course, our future episodes, which will be even better than this one, if that's even possible. Our email is don'tletstartpodcast at gmail.com. It's spelled like how it sounds. Do I have to spell it out for you? You know that when people say, do I have to spell it out for you? I mean that literally this yeah. time. Um, our Twitter, at don'tletspod. Hey, special surprise. Whoa. Hey. <laughs> oh, that hurt my chest. <laughs> Special surprise. <laughs> my left arm's tangling. Don't let's pod. We are, uh, Jonathan sent me some cool backstage fun photos from his tour with They Might Be Giants. And he I sent saw them. them. <laughs> That's right. He sent them to me exclusively because yeah. I'm, I'm a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> If you want to support the show uh, and all of our employees here, um, <laughs> anchor.fm slash don't let's start. You've got a few options there. All are good. Uh, it's really nice of everyone who does it and is still doing it. Thanks, everyone. Come back next time. We're going to talk about the next thing they might be giants did. Can you Ooh, figure it out? Next. It's a mystery. Um, it's You just can Google it. But uh, <laughs> that's it. That's it. From, from all of me and all of Dave. All of you. Keep playing those drums and reaching for those crash cymbals. Keep watching the skies. Keep kicking that kick. John Feinberg, please count count it off for us. First official count off. One, two, one, two, three. Someday mother will die and I'll get the money. Mom leans down and says my sentiments exactly. Palindrome, I...